0: those were the words of king david a king of the old testament when he was speaking of a man who unrepentantly came after him in sending much evil for him and he spoke of god's defense of him in the face of this man's wickedness and unrepentant heart today on looking at the topic of repentance we will be reading together from Luke chapter 3, the verses 1 to 17, and we'll be following that up by looking at the Heidelberg Catechism at Lord's Day 33. Luke chapter 3 is a parallel account of Matthew chapter 3, which we dealt with when we were looking at Lord's Day 32, last time we were together, Luke chapter 3. The author Luke has just spoken about the early part of Jesus' life, and now he speaks about the one who comes to prepare the way, to prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus as he launches into his ministry. Now, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Atyria, and the region of Trachonitis and Licinius, the treacherous of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zecharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he, this John, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, And be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Also look together at Lord's Day 33. And you can find that on page 549 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 33. What is the true repentance or conversion of man? It is the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying of the old nature? It is to grieve with the heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and more and more to hate it and to flee from it. What is the coming to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and the love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. But what are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith, in accordance with the law of God and to his glory, and not those based on our own opinion or on the precepts of men. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, For those of you who were here when we together looked at Lord's Day 32, you may remember how last time we spoke about the purpose of repentance and the purpose of those good works that follow. We saw that the aim and the desire of repentance is not to make yourself right before God. Rather, the aim and the purpose of repentance is to lead you beyond yourself to put your hope in Christ, to flee from your sin, from the wrath of God, and to flee to him and to his righteousness alone as your refuge. Now, just as we looked at the call to flee from the wrath to come, today we'll focus on the words that follow. Namely, the call, bear fruit worthy of, or as some translations have it, fruit in keeping with repentance. As we go into this, it's important to recognize what is meant by those words, bear fruit worthy of repentance. It can be looked at and understood in a way that you think, I have to bear this fruit that measures up with the level of how repentant I am. I have to bring forward something of worth before God. But when it says bear fruits worthy of repentance, what's meant here is bear fruit that reflects the fact that you are repentant. Bear fruit from a life that reflects the fact that you are fleeing from sin and that you have found refuge in Christ. As some translations have it, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The fruit itself is not the act of fleeing. The repentance is the act of fleeing. A truly repentant one has fled to Christ, whose sandals he is not worthy to untie. And yet he trusts that he has been received with love, washed with the Holy Spirit, and washed with a cleansing fire. Now, as John the Baptist confronts the people... Here it says the people in general, but in Matthew 3, we can see specifically that he is dealing with the Pharisees. As he confronts them in their self-righteousness, he reminds them, your life needs to reflect the fact that you have fled from sin and that you find refuge in God. This must be what we have in our minds as we approach our passage today. If you don't bear fruits in keeping with repentance, John is saying here, perhaps you haven't truly repented, flee to Christ, find refuge in him, hold to him each and every day. This must be what we have in our minds, opening and closing with the work of Christ It's as we are safe in Jesus Christ that we do bear this fruit, that we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Keeping that in mind, let's look at our text today, Bear Fruit in Keeping with Repentance, and we'll see how this repentance is active, ongoing, visible, God-glorifying, and finally rooted and watered and growing in Christ. As you look at this phrase that's found in our passage here today, it might seem a little strange to us, as we think about bearing fruit, to think about it as an active thing. If you look at a tree, you don't see it as willing itself to bear fruit, do you? A tree just does bear fruit. And yet we see John telling the people in our passage to bear fruit here. The word that's used here is in the imperative form. An imperative is a command. It's like when you boys and girls are told by your parents, wash the dishes after supper. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. Your parents just want you to and expect you to wash the dishes after they say so. This is unquestionably a command. This is a reminder to us. When we are living the Christian life, we are living an active life. We don't stand passively by. As we see sin exposed in our lives by the word of God, we recognize that sin doesn't just happen to us. But sin is something that we ourselves are involved with. And when it is exposed in our lives by the word of God, we are reminded by this fact, repentance being an active thing, described in an active way here, that repentance is something that doesn't just happen to us either. We don't just hope that this goes away. Having fled to Christ, we're called to turn around now and remember that this is no longer a part of us. It's like, if I can borrow a picture from the Apostle Paul, having a former life in which you were wearing old and rotting clothes. You don't want to wear those anymore. Sinful patterns of behavior are not just memories of your past life. They're not just things that cling to you as things that you, things that you remembered from, from the past. But these are parts of your past life that you want to get out of as fast as possible. You want to strip off those clothes and eagerly put on the fresh, clean clothes that come with new life in Christ. The people that John was confronting in verse 7, specifically the Pharisees that John had confronted, they had a problem. They lived content in the life that was passed down to them. Their holiness was not a reflection of a life that was actively confronting sin. They were rather living in a pattern of behavior that was taught by their parents, but nothing more. This was, as we saw the last time that we looked at this passage, what was meant by them being children of Abraham. They were not children that shared in the faith of Abraham, as the Apostle Paul later describes children of Abraham. Rather, they were those who held on to the patterns of Jewishness that were passed down to them as a cultural thing. They saw it as a thing to take pride in for that reason, or maybe a thing just to do, because that's what your forefathers had done. They didn't change their behavior because they were actively confronting sin in their lives, though. They weren't humbling themselves in repentance before God. Their good behavior was something that they inherited because their parents and grandparents had passed down that this is the way that you should live life, all the way down from Abraham. They delighted in it not as a gift from God, but they saw it as an accomplishment of their own. They got themselves into a pattern, and they remained there. They didn't actively explore their own lives. They didn't actively explore their own souls. They just continued to coast on what they had. And that's what John is reminding us of here when he takes it in the active sense, when he gives them this word in the imperative, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We are called to be active in confronting our sin. We are new in Christ if we have put our faith in Him. And these old clothes that are still part of it, still part of us, you and I are called to respond in a way that shudders at the touch of it, to eagerly strip it away and throw it off, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This brings us to our second point. The second thing that we can see in the words bear fruit is that it's a call for ongoing change. This is not just a one-time harvest and then going back to being fruitless. This is an ongoing lifestyle. Look at how the old life was described in the question and answer that came before Lord's Day 32 today. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life? No, by no means. Now, this is not just a one-time slip-up that's being described here. It is a sinful pattern. It's living in sin habitually as a life pattern. It's the soldiers that came by who extorted the people that they were supposed to protect, not being content with their own wages, but violently acting out against people in order to gain money from them. Likewise with tax collectors, collecting much more than what was appointed as their due in order to enrich themselves by it. This was a life pattern that these people followed. It's not just an external thing. This is not just something that's on the outside that just happens from time to time. But this was something within them that flowed out of a life of unbelief. As we look at the words of John today, now, we see something that's held up in contrast to that. We see something flowing out of a life of faith. A fruit tree that bears beautiful fruit, nourishing fruit for all those who are around. A fruit tree bearing fruit because it is a fruit tree and because this is its nature. So what does that look like with regards to a repentant life? True repentance and change, then, is not just a season, not just a one-time thing, but it flows out of a repentant life. It flows out of one who has disassociated themselves with their old life, who has fled to Jesus Christ, and who takes shelter under his wings, and who draws their strength from him. What does this look like? Our catechism describes this with two kinds of language what's happening on the inside, first of all, and then what's happening on the outside. Let's take a look at what happens on the inside of a repentant life. In the first place, our catechism describes it in this way it is to grieve with a heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin, and more and more to hate our sin. This is a genuine grappling with the things that are going on in our lives. To recognize that this is something that isn't just something that we want to kick. It's not just a habit that we want to put behind us, but it is something that offends God. And because we have found our refuge in Jesus Christ, because we find our refuge in God, then it grieves us that our sins Grieve God. And so we hate it because we know what it does. In the second place, on the inside, it is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. Now, notice those words, through Christ. Apart from Christ, we have no joy, we recognize our own sin. And we know that we don't measure up. Through Christ, or apart from Christ, we are just stuck with the first part of grieving with a heartfelt sorrow that we have offended God by our sin and hating our sin. But we don't go any further than that. That sucks the joy right out of life. But for the one who comes to Christ the one who finds refuge in Christ, the repentant sinner can rest and trust that the sins that they have done are forgiven them completely for his sake. That we are cleansed by the Holy Spirit and fire as John promises will do, Jesus will do in verse 16 of Luke 3. And so those who are repentant really do have a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. Therefore, the repentant sinner is one who internally leans on Jesus every day, one who has found their refuge in him and now one who completely associates their complete life with him, the entirety of their life with him. He or she is not one who is perfect but one whose heart still belongs to Christ. That is their walk of life. Even in their weak days, weeks, or months, when they find themselves falling back, they run to Christ again, and they confess, I need thee every hour. They hold fast to him, and they rejoice in him, But it doesn't just stop on the inside. This is something that goes to the outside as well. And that brings us to our third point. Repentance is a visible thing. Visible change was what those who heard the message of repentance were called to. You can see how many of John's hearers did respond. Where their hearts eagerly went, their lives followed. The tax collectors call out, what does bearing fruit look like in our situation? The soldiers ask, how about me? What does bearing fruit look like in my situation? By God's grace, their hearts have been changed. Their old natures, as our catechism describes it, are put to death. Their new natures in Christ have come to life, and they eagerly want to know how they can make things right. Not because their doing so sets them right before God, but because their hearts are eagerly responding as those who have been set right. The will being acted upon now acts. Again, it's not because they have suddenly become perfect people. Instead, it's as our canons of Dort describes it in article 11, chapter 3, 4. He makes the will which was dead alive, which was bad good, which was unwilling willing, and which was stubborn obedient. He moves and strengthens it so that like a good tree, it may be able to produce the fruit of good works. A tree that is turned by the power of God into a good fruit tree bears fruit. But again, it's not that they have suddenly become perfect people. Each of these men and women, as they went home and they dealt with these things that John would have spoken of, they would have seen other things that arose in their life. The beautiful thing is, though, that any change that they and you already begin to experience is the Holy Spirit at work in you. This is the gift that is given to those who turn to Christ. He gives them his Spirit to dwell in them, to guide them, and to bring them to repentance. Any change that you can see that you already begin to experience is the Holy Spirit at work in you. And where the Holy Spirit goes, you can see the effects. Like wind blowing through the branches makes the trees sway, so too when the Holy Spirit brings repentance, the life follows in a visible way and everything that happens on the inside begins to impact the outside. And all of that having one purpose, They're living lives that love Jesus Christ, as our catechism says. Lives that delight in doing right because it brings glory to God's name. Here I'd like to draw your attention to that most central line in question and answer 91. What are good works? Only those which are done out of true faith in accordance with the law of God and to his glory. That is the key line here. This change happens not for our own glory and not because we want to see people. We want people to see how good we ourselves have become. But this change happens for God's glory, for the sake of Christ's name, so that we can say, see, How good Christ is to me. And this brings us to our fourth point. Repentance is God glorifying. When John speaks to the Pharisees, and he says, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of or in keeping with Repentance. When he is speaking to them in this way, he's making a statement. A repentant and forgiven sinner can find refuge in God. More than that, a repentant and forgiven sinner can work to the glory of God, can please God. Not an obedient but proud Pharisee, though. Why? What's the difference? As we saw there, it's the difference of the heart. It is to God's glory and not to our glory that we work. Our glory is the one that seeks righteousness simply by outward obedience that seeks righteousness as a son of Abraham in a sense of works, that seeks righteousness by going up to God and saying, God, look at me, I have something to offer. That is the obedience of the proud. That is the obedience of many of those Pharisees there that day. That, sadly, is also a stumbling block for the meek and brokenhearted. You see, often the meek and brokenhearted forget this central part of our repentance that our catechism draws our attention to. The meek and brokenhearted will look at that. They will look at the Pharisees that stand on the riverbank above them and think, I have to match that. You can almost imagine the, Pharisee, or the soldiers and the tax collectors thinking, do I have to be like those Pharisees to be able to come to God? But repentance is God-glorifying. What a joy and relief when God calls them to the river to wash them clean when God promises them Jesus Christ through John the Baptist, when God promises them them fire to purify them and the Holy Spirit to dwell within them, it is these things that direct their hearts away from themselves and that direct their hearts towards God. They don't, and you don't come to God with whole lives, with clean lives. You don't come saying, God, look at what I have to offer This is self glorifying. But the beautiful thing is, what Christ offers is so much better. God is glorified by taking the broken and the sinful, by cleansing them of unrighteousness and leading them to praise Him for His mercy. God is glorified when sinners come to Him in obedience. For his glory, the humble and repentant sinner says this. What I have is not something that I bring to God. What do you have that you did not receive? The scriptures say. The humble and repentant sinner says this. All that I do is what God has given My God did it all. My sins are great, but His mercy is more. I come to God, not because I am clean, but because He makes me clean. I now live for God, not because it makes me clean, but because it brings Him glory. It brings Him glory through Christ. This brings us to our fifth point, rooted, watered, and growing in Christ. It's good and fitting to go to the one to whom John the Baptist points as we close this afternoon. Because the temptation to sinners is so often to return to ourselves again at the end of the day. When we look at the points that follow, we think, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Okay, I will bear fruit. I will actively repent. I will repent in an ongoing way. I will visibly repent so that everyone can see it. I will glorify God through what I bring to the table? No. It begins And ends with the one who John points to. The one whose sandals we are not worthy to untie and who yet comes to us in our sinfulness. It begins and ends with the work of God through Christ. Canons of Door chapter 3, 4, article 10 says it beautifully here. He has chosen his own in Christ from eternity. And he calls them effectually in time. He gives them faith and repentance. He delivers them from the power of darkness and transfers them to the kingdom of his Son. All this he does so that they may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light and may boast not of themselves but of the Lord according to the testimony of the apostles in various places. Do you see? It begins and ends with the work of Christ. None of the above is possible without Christ. Without Christ, I do not turn in repentance. Without Christ, I do not actively repent. Without Christ, I do not care that my life is not living to his glory. Apart from him, Transformation is an exercise in frustration. But in Christ, the Father freely gives us this, this repentance and change. Do you struggle in sin? Do you struggle again and again and again? Come to Christ again and again. And again and again, through whom the Father freely gives this repentance and change. He is the one who washes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is the one who changes our nature. Do you want to bear fruit in keeping with repentance? Do you want to live to His glory? Come to Christ. Can a branch choose to bear fruit? Can a willow, a pine, or a maple change its nature? No. But Jesus changes the trees. Jesus Christ is the one who changes our nature. He is the one who turns us into fruit-bearing trees, trees that bear fruit to his glory. Through his Spirit living in us, he makes it possible for us to truly change And in running to him, you are safe. As you struggle with sin and you run to Christ again, in Christ you will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Yes, by his word and spirit he convicts us. Yes, he lays us bare before his eyes and before our own eyes. But he doesn't shy away from us. Rather, he he moves towards us in our sinfulness as it comes to light, and he transforms us. Come to Jesus Christ. Find your safety in him. Love him. Live for him. Serve him with all your heart, and see in him you will bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Amen.